bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you today for the opportunity to be in this house. God, I pray you'd give me the anointing of Samuel that not one word that I would speak would fall to the ground. I pray for the anointing and the weight, the kabod, the glory of your Holy Spirit to come into this room. God, I believe today that you want to fill us with something. You've given me a word for this specific time, for this specific season, for these specific people. And I pray to God today that you would circumcise their ears so that all the unnecessary flesh would be removed so that they could hear what you're saying through me this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 12, the New Living Translation of the Bible says this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they all fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. We can't share what we have. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I do not know you. It's very important for you to have a full lamp of oil. All ten of these virgins, all ten of these bridesmaids started with the same goal in mind. They wanted to attend a wedding feast and they were waiting for a bridegroom to come. Five of them were wise and they took enough oil just in case his coming was delayed. Five of them were unwise and they took just enough until the time they thought he was going to come. It's very important to keep a full lamp of oil. Many of you, just like me, have been feeling the pinch of these gas prices going up. I'm a business owner and my daily driver is a V8. My gas bill has doubled, almost tripled in the last year or two, and I'm feeling the effects of the rising oil costs. You all are, even if you're not driving long distances. I drive a lot every single day, 25, 30,000 miles a year. I'm putting on my vehicles and I really feel it. And I know you are too. You're feeling it in the grocery store, right? This is yes, this is no. Yeah. You're feeling it in the grocery store. You're feeling it. Everything you're buying is inflated. I, I'm a painter by trade. I own a painting company. And I bought a gallon of paint this week that two years ago cost me around $50 a gallon. I paid $122, my price, a gallon for paint that I'm going to put on somebody's door inside their house. It's getting very expensive to fill your tank with oil. I used to be that guy who always had a full tank. A full tank of gas to me is 100% confidence, right? If I got a full tank of gas, I'm good to go. Recently, my wife and I took a trip with another couple, and we rented a van, and we drove to North Carolina. And I'd never driven through West Virginia before. 
I got into West Virginia and I didn't realize I needed gas before I got into West Virginia. Because if you've ever been there, there's nothing there. There's one big city and then hours worth of trees. Hours and hours and hours, tree, 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 pretty mountain, tree. Pretty cool at first. But after a couple hours when I looked down and I got less than a quarter of a tank of gas, I start freaking out. I look back, I said, Shanna, that's my wife. I haven't seen a gas station for quite a while and I'm below a quarter of a tank. She's like, we'll just pray, we'll get, we'll get to one. She had more faith than me. Some of you guys have these little gas counters on your car like I do, and it tells you how many miles you have left. 70 miles left. She said, surely there's going to be a gas station within these 70 miles. It quickly became 50. Surely there's going to be a gas station within 50 miles of where we're at. And do you know that once it hits like 50, it doesn't tell you how many miles are left? I've never been that low before. The yellow thing starts flashing at me. I'm like, I'm going to have to push this car through the mountains of West Virginia. And I hear they don't like people from Ohio. But by the grace of God, we put it into a gas station with fumes, and I'd never been that low before. Do you know what I did? I did not put $5 worth of gas in that fuel tank when I got there. I filled it as far as it'd go. And they say don't top it off, but I'm topping. And I'm topping until gasoline poured out of the car. I'm not doing that again. I learned my lesson. If I had to have enough fuel to get to where I was going. I had to have a game plan set. I didn't want to be like the five foolish virgins. I wanted to be like the wise ones who made a decision that just in case he doesn't come when he's supposed to come, I still want to have enough fuel that my fire will be burning. I've come to announce to you the bridegroom is coming. There's a bridegroom coming. We still believe in the second return of Jesus Christ. He's going to come and split the eastern sky and we'll all behold, behold him in his glory. He's coming, but many people are giving up because they haven't seen it when they thought it was going to happen. We thought it was going to happen during the Cuban Missile Crisis. You thought it was going to happen during the assassination of JFK. You thought it was going to happen during the assassination of Martin Luther King. You thought it was going to happen during the Gulf War. You thought it was going to happen during 9-11 when everyone in America found themselves in a church the Sunday morning afterwards holding hands, singing Amazing Grace. You thought it was going to happen when Donald J. Trump was elected president. And then you really thought it was going to happen when Joe Biden was elected president. And I'm seeing in the church right now, there's a 50-50 split of people. 50% of them are burning with their hottest fire. Why 50% of them are smoldering out because they have lost the oil in their lamps. Where are you on the spectrum? Are you still burning with the fire that you had at the beginning? Or do you find yourself smoldering out? You need to be filled up for your finish. I came to speak to you today on the subject, filled to finish. There's foolish virgins. That means they're unwise. Wisdom always makes a plan for success. Everybody wants to be rich. Nobody wants to do what it takes to get there. It's small steps. Everyone has this lottery mentality. I'm just going to live life like this all the time, and just one day I'm going to step into this thing and I'm going to be wealthy. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that in business. If you want to start a business, you just can't go out tomorrow and start a business. you got to write a business plan. 
goals, things you have to achieve. I have to do this by this date or I won't achieve the goal I'm trying to get. Why do we start our journey in Christianity with no goals? We build ourselves on a salvation-based Christianity. When Jesus said, I'm the door, I'm the entry point to this thing. I'm not, the, I'm not the end. This isn't the end. This is actually the beginning. You need to set some goals. You need to have some things to reach for. You got to have something to keep the fire burning inside of you or you will burn out. You have to be wise like the five. And busyness is not a remedy for emptiness. I don't care how busy you are. You could be running with all you got and as empty as you've ever been. We tend to do that. We'll pile on more when we're feeling empty. Oh, I'm feeling so empty. Maybe I need to sign my kid up in the traveling league of sports to fill my day. Maybe I need to take on another shift at the factory. Maybe I need right now in the middle of this emptiness, maybe I should start an online company. And you find yourself doing more than you ever did while you're emptier than you've ever been. You know what happens when you're in a car and you're, you got the gaslight flashing in your face and you're hot and you want to turn the air conditioner on and all the other devices on inside there? Your gasoline goes away even quicker. If you find yourself in a place of dryness, if you find yourself feeling more empty, the remedy is not becoming more busy. The remedy is finding the way to get from point A of emptiness to point B of being filled. We have to be filled to finish. People don't fall into success. They plan for it. You have to know what it's going to take to take you to where you want to go. Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. The Bible says this in the New King James Version. This is Paul speaking. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations both await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may, what's that next word? Finish, complete my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. Paul sets a goal early. Saul becomes Paul in Acts chapter 16. A great conversion where he's blinded by the light of the Savior himself. He sees Jesus and the bright light blinds him on the road called Straight. And three chapters later, Paul at the very beginning of his ministry said, I have to set a goal. My goal is that I have to finish this race with joy. I have to finish it. I don't care about the rest of the things in my life. They got chains for me. They got tribulations for me. Everything else will just tend to work its way out if I'll seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And Paul sets a goal to finish in the early stages. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. This is Paul at the very end of his life. New King James Version. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I think we're there. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and then fulfill or finish your ministry. Four steps to success. For I am already being poured out 
as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have, what's the word? Finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Paul set a goal, and he's at the end of his life, and he's talking to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he said, Timothy, these are the four steps that I took to finish the goal. Now, you do the same. Set up some steps in your ministry, and you'll fulfill the goal of finishing this thing, and you will never run out. Paul fought the good fight. That's persistence. He kept the faith and finished the race. That's endurance. Persistence and endurance are the pillars of kingdom advancement. If you want to advance in the kingdom, that's all it takes. Persistence and endurance. Persistence, that means just keep on going no matter what. Endurance, that means just keep on going no matter what. No matter what, you just got to keep on going. No matter what it feels like, if you feel like it's time to give up, you feel like you've got nothing left in you, you've got to reach inside of yourself and find something. Paul said it like this to Timothy. He said, stir up the gift that is within you. Whatever's inside of you, just stir it up once again. You were on fire at one time, Timothy, but I see you smoldering out. It's time for you to stir something up. I believe I'm looking at some people today with some lamps in their hands. And I don't want you to be without fire. I don't want you to try to just blow on it to try to get the embers to once again glow. I want you to be a raging inferno. I want you to be something that cannot be hidden. A city set up on a hill. I want you to burn for God with all that you've got. I'm tired of seeing gaslight Christians that live on the flashing light. Sunday to Sunday, like, like an addict, they come to church to get their God fix. And they never live a full life. They just live light from the gaslight, from the flashing light. I just might putter my way back into Sunday morning service when God said, you're called to be more than that. You're not a quitter. You're a conqueror. He said, yeah, I've set you up in business. You've gone from rags to riches. All you have to do is just keep on going. Man, I feel something in me today just to push. I feel like I came with an igniter today to relight a fire in you that hasn't burned for quite a while. Because your lamp has been on empty. Whew. Paul talked about a race in both of these uh, chapters, both of these books. And he uses the same Greek word for both meanings. When he says the race, he uses the word dromo. And Dromo is not like a sprint. Okay, Dromo can be likened to a marathon. D-R-O-M-O. It's also a running messenger, a Dromon. Someone with a message that has to run. I think I'm in the room with some Dromos today. With some Dromons today. With something that they have on their heart. And they have not been running the way they should be running. Say, Mikey, I wanted you to come in here and preach fire and spit on me. Well, I came with a word from the Lord today saying it's time for you to once again be ignited. Many of you were at a higher place of burning a couple of years ago. He's calling you back. The Holy Spirit is beckoning you in this moment saying, come back. Come back to the place where you once were. Come back to your first love. Come back to burning once again. He said, I've finished my dromo. I've finished my marathon. There was a Dromon in 490 B.C. named Pheidippides. 
Greek had gone in, Greece had gone into a war with the Persian army. And the Persian army outnumbered Greece three to one in 490 B.C. And somehow Greece won a great victory that day and they pushed back the Persian army. The place was called Marathon. The battle was called the Battle of Marathon. And this young Dromon, this young Marathon messenger was given the task by the general of the army to run back to Athens and tell the people that we were not defeated today. Today we conquered. So he began running. And history tells us that he ran through the foothills from Marathon all the way to Athens, which is around 26 miles, which is where we get 26.2 miles for a marathon. Pheidippides gets there and he's out of breath and he says, good news, we have conquered. And history tells us that Pheidippides immediately falls to the ground and dies after finishing his race. Uh, I think I would do the same thing. <laughs> Look at me. This, this body wasn't equipped for 26.2 miles. Matter of fact, last weekend I talked my wife into going hiking with me. Some of you know my wife, and she is the farthest thing from outdoorsy. She won't even sit on the back patio. There's no air conditioning out there. <laughs> She's bougie. That's what we call it, our generation. She's bougie. So I somehow convinced her, after eight years of not doing anything outside, to go hiking with me, because eight years prior, I took her kayaking, and that was an absolute mess. She was horrified. She's never going outside again. And somehow, after eight years, she forgot so I convinced her to go hiking with me, and we went hiking. And at first, it was okay. You know, we did a two-and-a-half-mile loop. She was okay because we were on a horse trail. It's like 12 feet wide. <laughs> it's not the woods, okay? So we're hiking and hiking. And we got around it, and I'm like, are you okay? She goes, yeah, that was okay. I don't like the bugs and the sounds, but it was okay. So I said, well, let's do another one. There's another way. Uh, back here is another place where I hunt that I know pretty well. Let's go back there. I think it's a, it's a pretty big loop. You know, we'll get another two and a half miles. She said, that's fine. So we're walking and hiking and going and going. And she turns around and she's like, Mikey, where are we at? I didn't want to tell her. I was lost. <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not. The woods looks very different in the summer than it does in the winter. <laughs> Leaves change everything. She's like, where is this next trail at? Right around the bend here. Right around the bend here. And after about 40 minutes of saying right around the bend here, she realized that I didn't know what I was doing, okay? <laughs> We're five miles deep into the woods, and the only thing I know to do is to turn around and go back the same way I came. There is no other trail to get me back home. <laughs> and by this time, we're seven and a half miles into a hike with a girl who's never hiked. So she's feeling it. She didn't wear hiking shoes. She wore brand new Adidas cloud foam shoes. White shoes hiking. They were already destroyed. Mud up to her shins and she wasn't happy. <laughs> so we're walking. I, I finally turn around and I'm like, we're about to get to the trailhead because that sounds real outdoorsy. Trailhead. I don't even know what that means. But I'm like, we're almost at the trailhead. Almost at the trailhead. I kept trying to push her. Like, we're almost there. She's like, my feet are hurting so bad. I'm like, get on my back. I'll carry you the rest of the way. I don't know how far I would have gone, but I would have died trying. And eventually, by, by luck, I found myself back to my truck. <laughs> but for a moment, I had no idea where I was at. And the conditions changed. And she had no idea how to finish. She had no idea. I felt like, I felt like 
I was giving everything I had just praying that I could find my truck. <laughs> we weren't that lost. We were at Caesars Creek. I could hear boats in the background. I just swim over to Caesars. Someone's going to help me, right? I'm not going to die out here. She'd act like we were on man versus wild or something. She's like, we're going to we're gonna have to build a shelter. <laughs> so I sort of I relate to Pheidippides of running this 26 miles getting there and dying. But you know what? You know, they realized that Pheidippides in those 26 miles, he ran at full speed and he was not able to stay alive because he gave it all the entire time. Just full sprint. You know, the average marathon runner can run a four and a half minute mile. I don't think there's anyone in this room that can do that. Maybe, maybe Rebecca. I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone that, the average marathon finisher can run a four and a half minute mile, but the average marathon finisher finishes at a 10 minute mile because they pace themselves. I've been discipling people for 15, 20 years, and I've seen it time after time again. People get saved, and they're so burning that they run with the hottest zeal. You know, they're running full speed. Three months later, they're gone. They burn themselves out. Listen, you've got to learn how to find your pace to get to your finish. If you don't find your pace to get to your finish, you'll be like Pheidippides, and you'll die. Either you'll go too fast and you'll burn yourself out or you'll go so slow that you'll just give up. Christianity is a journey. It's a long road. It's not about just saying a prayer and making it to heaven. It's about occupying until he comes. It's about governing your family and the world until he comes. But we failed to realize that on this journey, there's going to be some times where we get tired. Where we feel like we want to give up, but we got to pace ourselves. To finish, it's easy to start a marathon. It is incredibly difficult to finish one. And Paul likens our Christian experience, our Christian journey to a marathon. We're close to Cincinnati. Who in this room has heard of the Flying Pig Marathon? Okay, everyone in this room, those of you watching by the internet, you're not from Cincinnati. Here in Cincinnati, we have chili that we put on spaghetti. Really weird. Chili we put on hot dogs, also very weird. And we have a marathon we called the Flying Pig Marathon where there's pigs all over the city with wings. Very weird. I get it. I read an article recently, a couple weeks ago, they ran the Flying Pig Marathon. And an entire family ran the marathon together. A whole family, including their six-year-old son. A six-year-old ran 26.2 miles in the Cincinnati Flying Pig Marathon. They said that as he got into the marathon, they were questioning the parents afterwards, they said that the kid was getting tired. And every, every mile they were coercing him. And they were saying, if you, if you get to this point, we'll give you this thing. Guess what they were coercing him with? A can of Pringles. $1.50. That's how much those cost. Johnny was bought off pretty cheap. If my parents sitting here said, Mikey, we're going to run the marathon, what do you want as a gift? I would say I want a 2022 Audi R8. I don't want the gloss paint. I want the black matte finish with the 24-inch rims. And I'm bougie too. I don't want the single turbo. I want the twin turbo. <laughs> Johnny sold himself short. And they said he was, they were telling him, if you get to the end of this race, we'll give you this can of Pringles. Well, you know, that desire sort of waved off around the 12th or 13th mile. And they said that they had to begin like, giving him more to look forward to than one can of Pringles. So mile 13, they said, we'll give you an additional can of Pringles for every mile that you finish now. So Johnny had something to look forward to. I don't know if that's his name or not. They wouldn't say it, but he's Johnny today. 
Johnny looked forward to a can of Pringles at the end of every mile. The small steps. Sometimes we're so busy looking at the end that we don't see our small victories. Come on, somebody. And we fail to finish because we don't feel like we're making strides. When in reality, the small steps make the big victories. Too often we look for the big things. Do you know that the fourth and inches on the 50-yard line is just as important as the game-winning touchdown? Because if I do not get the conversion at the fourth and inches in the middle, then I'll never make it to the touchdown. We want to celebrate the touchdown, but not the conversion. How many victories have you gone over in your life and not even taken the time to stop and not even taken the time to celebrate? The Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, but sometimes we get trapped between the hallway, between the doors. But when you get trapped between the doors, you don't have to exactly look at the door as you're finished. Sometimes you just got to look at the next step. He said, I'll be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. He doesn't always give you the end game, but he promises to give you the next step. We got to learn how to celebrate the small steps. So little Johnny was getting can after can of Pringles, and he finally finishes. And they said that he was a mess. He was crying. And you know, Child Protective Services are now involved because they think it might have been abusive to make a six-year-old run a marathon of 26.2 inches, but they'll let him watch video games for 12 hours a day and not call that abuse. <laughs> so little Johnny gets to the end. And his parents are like, you did such a great job, we're going to take you to Sam's Club. And there was a picture at the end of the article of little Johnny holding the largest box of Pringles you've ever seen. 50 cans of Pringles. He had won the victory. And he's so excited, he said he wanted to do it again next year. At mile 13, I'm quite certain little Johnny didn't want to finish where he was even at. But when it was done, he looked back and he said, even though it hurt. A six-year-old prophesying to me. Even though it felt like I could not finish, the reward at the end was worth the suffering of the center. I did not see the checkered flag when I was in the middle, but once I've tasted victory, all that stuff was worth it. Many people give up in the middle because they aren't seeing victory. Present time has a way of masking success. I work with a lot of wealthy people, and most of them didn't realize that they were getting so successful as they were getting successful. It's only when we look back. It's only when, we, wow, I can't believe how far I've come. Some of you have social media. You ever seen those Facebook memories? That's of the devil. <laughs> I'm telling you what. My brother... This week said, hey, Mikey, look at this picture that popped up on memories of us six years ago. I thought I was overweight then. <laughs> I saw that. I said, don't you ever show me that picture again. I had no white in my beard. I didn't even realize I was going white until someone took a picture of me. And I was like, wow, I look distinguished. <laughs> I think I might keep that. I can't grow it on top, so I might as well do something down here. And those memories popped up, and I didn't even realize the change that I'd made over six years. This one wasn't for the good, though. Because every single year, I do like most of you do at, at the New Year's resolution time, and this is the year, right? January 1st, I'm getting back into shape. This year, I went as far as building a gym in my basement. I got commercial-grade equipment. I've got the best treadmill. I've got the best elliptical. She saw me bringing it into the house. They're my neighbors. 
I brought it all into the house. I got every dumbbell. I got all the weights, everything that's necessary for me to be able to do this. How many times have I been in that gym? Three. <laughs> Three times. Because I have no drive in me right now. I don't have that desire right now. I don't have that ambition right now. I come to ask you, in your Christian walk, are you currently in drive mode or are you in neutral? Have you been being pushed by the outside winds of the society to the point where you find yourself fighting on the defense instead of fighting offensively? Where is our ambition in the church of Jesus Christ today? Where is our fire? Where is our oil? Are we running on empty? This marathon's not easy. But hindsight always reveals that the small victories proved to become major wins. I remember 15 years ago standing in front of the Supreme Court on the steps with red tape on my lips. Life written on the red tape in a Sharpie marker. We prayed silently for the unborn. We'd stand on the steps and we'd cry and we'd pray. I remember coming into here during Wednesday nights when we have intercessory prayer and just crying out for an hour at a time, God, end abortion, bring revival to America. We repent for our sins and the sins of our nation. God, end abortion, send revival to America with Lou Engel. That was his prayer, Lou's prayer. God, we repent for the sins of our nation. End abortion and bring revival to America. I'll stand here every time I get a chance to stand behind this pulpit and tell you that abortion is murder. That's not politics. Abortion is murder. Jesus said it himself. He said, what you've done unto the smallest little ones of these, you've done it unto me. So I've been interceding for 20 years for God to do something about abortion. I remember crying when Barack Obama was in the White House saying, God, please wake him up in the middle of the night with the cries of the unborn. When Donald Trump got into the White House, God, please wake him up with the cries of the unborn, with those nine justices. Wake them up in the middle of the night. Uh, interrupt their sleep with the cries of the unborn. And it felt like we were getting nowhere for 15, 20, 30 years of intercessory prayer. As a matter of fact, they legalized partial birth abortion in the middle of us praying against it. It felt like a setback. Do you know that the inventor of the partial birth abortion has an abortion clinic or did in Dayton, Ohio? I'd find myself on the sidewalk of this abortion clinic after work in paint clothes because I felt so drawn to go there and pray with oil that I'd prayed over and just dumping it on the sidewalk saying, God, please end this in this nation. If we want revival, we cannot sacrifice babies on the altar of Baal in this thing. You know what they're saying the Supreme Court might rule this week? The overturning of Roe versus Wade. We're going to see it in our lifetime. We're going to see it with our own two eyes. Our nation will no longer kill little babies. And it's because people for year after year, even though it seemed like they weren't anywhere close to the checkered flag, continued to travail in prayer. What is it that you've been trying for that you haven't seen an end to? What have you been pressing toward and you can't see a finish? I come to prophesy to you, if you would just go a little longer, if you'd burn a little bit more, if you'd find a way to have a little more oil in your lip, the bridegroom is coming and you'll see what you wanted to see. That daughter you've been praying for for years, she's coming back. The prodigal son you've been anointing for years and interceding over, he's coming back. That marriage that you thought was finished, he's going to restore it and it's going to happen very quickly. If you just won't give up. Thomas Edison, the greatest inventor, one of the greatest inventors, maybe second to Nikolai Tesla, 
One of the greatest inventors in U.S. history said this quote. He said, I have never failed before. I've only found 10,000 ways that did not work. If this man would have given up when he failed, we wouldn't have the modern light bulb. If he would have given up when he failed, we wouldn't have a carbon microphone. Because this man had an end game in mind and he set goals, he saw little victories in the ones that did work. And he said, you know, I've never failed one time. I've only found 10,000 ways that did not work. How many times have you given up on something because it did not work? I was born in the country. Don't let these clothes fool you. I like hunting, fishing, and loving every day. When I was a kid, the way that we knew that we were going back to school was when the corn got tall enough. When the corn was six feet tall, we're going back to school. And you know that after they plant corn, it sits in the ground dormant for quite a while. And then over about a month and a half's time, it goes from this big to this big. What if the farmer decided as soon as he planted the seed, this thing's not going to work out, and he smashed it out? Bamboo is the same way. There's forms of Chinese bamboo that they plant in the ground and they water for five continual years and never see progress. Then over five weeks time, it shoots up over 90 feet. Some of you have seed in the ground that you've almost given up on because you haven't seen the harvest yet. It's not over. It's not finished. I prophesy if you just keep going, you're almost there. You're almost to the end. You know the most difficult mile in a marathon is mile 18? They say mile 18 is just enough into the marathon, past the middle, that you can't think about why you started anymore. But it's also just far enough away from the finish that you forget, forget what it would feel like to be victorious. You don't have the drive anymore. Many people in this room, under the sound of my voice right now, are on their Christian mile 18. You've forgotten the passion of your beginning but you can't taste your finish yet. You may think I'm a sinner. <laughs> I don't care. I like the Kentucky Derby. A couple weeks ago, the Kentucky Derby happened. You know, when I was a kid, my grandmother, who's now passed on, she, would, she loved the Kentucky Derby. She'd get all dressed up and wear the big feathery hats, you know, and, and do the thing. And I just love to watch that. I don't know what it is about it. I love to watch it. A couple weeks ago, there was a horse in the Kentucky Derby. Rich Strike. He was not favored to win. As a matter of fact, he was at the bottom. 80 to 1 odds. If you were a betting person and put $1,000 on him winning, you would have won $80,000 because Rich Strike won the Kentucky Derby. The very last lap, at the very end, he was like 12 horses back. He was in 12th place for quite a while. Wasn't on the radar. If you, if you re-listen to it, the announcer says nothing about Rich Strike. He's talking about the top three horses. And all of a sudden, with about three seconds left, this jockey decided, I'm not going to finish in 12th. I've been in 12th long enough. He started kicking that horse harder than he ever kicked it. He rode that horse harder than he ever rode it. And in the last three seconds, Rich Strike, a horse that did not even barely qualify for the Kentucky Derby, won the Kentucky Derby. He passed three of the top horses in the nation, and he won with 80 to 1 odds. And they placed a garland around the neck of someone who did not look like they're supposed to be the winner. I want to tell you 
today, you may not look like you're supposed to win this thing. The odds may be stacked against you. It may be 80 to 1 odds. But if you just get a little bit of drive and a little bit of push, a little bit of persistence, and a little bit of endurance, and finish this thing strong, if you'll finish strong, you will be victorious. It's already done. It's a fixed fight. You're already a winner if you'll just finish. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he looked up into the heavens and he said, it is finished. That was the seal of the deal for everything that you need. A once for all sacrifice for your victory. It's already won. All you have to do is finish. You want the first place trophy? All you got to do is finish. If you want to be victorious, all you got to do is keep agility in your legs and keep going. You just got to find some oil in your lamp again. Man, I'm preaching. Man, I'm preaching. We often feel stuck, not because of our ability, but because we're what we're looking at. It's very easy to overestimate the importance of one defining moment in your life and to devalue the accumulation of many small victories. Massive success does not require massive action. Small steps lead to huge feats. A lot of you see these apostles and prophets doing great things for the country, for the nation. You know, that didn't happen overnight. Year after year of persistence and endurance set them on a pace to be able to help shift the nation. And some of you are giving up because you feel like you can't even change your household. Ooh, I feel the Holy Spirit in here this morning. Many of you feel like your oil's gone. You may feel like the fire cannot be put back into it. I came today with a solution to your empty lamp. You aren't stuck. You just aren't at your current place of greatest victory. The only thing between his word and it being accomplished is time. His word does not return to him void. That means if he said it, he will do it. If he said it, he will accomplish it. He won't fail is what we sang this morning. He's been faithful through every generation. Why would he fail now? All I got to do is just keep going. All I got to do is just keep running. All I got to do is just keep looking forward to that next Pringle can and I might make it to mile 26.2. All I got to do is just keep going. You aren't designed to give up. As a matter of fact, you've been totally equipped for success. From your mother's womb, he's called you. He's chosen you and he set you apart for a destiny. And he says, you can complete it. I've given you every necessary thing that pertains to life and godliness. That means you have everything necessary to finish your race. You have everything necessary to get these 26.2 miles in. You've got everything necessary to endure and your lamp continue burning until the bridegroom comes. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, King James Version. The Bible says this, and he, the enemy shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High 
and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given unto his hand until a time in times in the dividing of times. I believe many people have just been being worn out over this last two, two and a half years, just oppressing to the point where you're so worn out, you feel like you just cannot make it. You ever gone to sleep and woke up the next morning more tired than you fell asleep? You know why? Because you're worn out. Some of you have been worn out. That's his only trick. He knows that if he does not wear you down, all you got to do is cross the finish line and you win. But in the middle, his only tactic is to wear you down to the point where you pause or you stop or you just totally give up right in the middle because he knows you've already destined for victory. He knows you're already a winner. You just don't know it yet. So he wears you down. He wears you out. But some of you have to realize that you're not a quitter. You're a conqueror. You're not a quitter. You're a conqueror. You've been equipped for success. And you aren't designed to give up. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere. From all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Get all you can. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. I will not stop pouring. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. She was ready to give up. Rachel, you can come help me. She was ready to give up, ready to throw in the towel, ready to call it finished. My husband, the breadwinner, is done. He's dead. He's the one who made a way for us to be financially stable. He's gone. I lost him. And now they're coming for my two sons. That's all I got left. I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose it all. Do you not understand? Please help me, she said to the prophet. He looked at her. He said, what do you have? What do you have left? You know, God doesn't have to give you anything new. He always uses what you've got. <laughs> Man, that ought to make you feel good. God uses what you've already got in the house. She said, all I have is just this little bitty jar of oil. He said, go get some empty vessels and start pouring it. But I can't. It's all I have left. If I waste this, I'm finished. I'm done. I won't have my sons. I won't have any food. I won't have any sustenance. They'll take it all from me if I waste it. And he said, you're not wasting it. Just pour it out. Just pour it out, whatever you got left. Your lamp may be just at the very bottom of its oil, but if you'll just pour it out, he said, it will not cease. She was running on empty. 
Her light was flashing. She had just a little bit of oil left, but the prophet told her, just pour it out. I came today to tell you, if you want to be filled again, whatever you got left, whatever you can muster up from inside of you, just pour it out. Just pour it out. Just pour it out. But what if it's wasted? He said, as long as you keep pouring, it'll keep flowing. I come to tell you today, if you want to be filled, you just keep emptying it out. Pour it out. He asked her, what do you have? She said, I've got just a little jar of oil. She should have said, I got just a little jar of oil and I got a community of people that'll back me and give me all their broken vessels to help me get out of this. That's what the church is. You're not in this alone. You don't just have a little bit of oil. You got people right here in this room with you that says, no matter what you need, if I've got more empty vessels, I'll give you everything that I have. If that's what it takes to get you burning again, I'll give you all of it, every bit of it, not just a few, all of them. I believe if the woman still to this day, if they still had empty buckets for that oil to go into, it would still be pouring to this day. He's given you the faithful promise. You don't have to be like the unwise virgins who miss the coming of the bridegroom because they've lost their oil. You can be like Paul and say, I was filled to finish because I understand the way to continually be filled is to continually pour. The Bible said that this woman did three things. She first cried out to the prophet and said, please, I need help. Some of you need to do that. Cry out to God right now in this moment. Say, God, I need some help. Can't do it on my own. I've tried it. I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. I need some help. She cried out. I feel the anointing of the Spirit this morning. Not only did she cry out, secondly, the Bible says that she reached out. She came to her neighbors and said, you're stronger than me. You got more than I got right now. And I'm seeing something you have that I need. Please let me have that vessel. Please come help me. Help me gather all of them. She reached out. And thirdly, the Bible said that she did this. She poured out. Come on, somebody just pour it out this morning. Just pour whatever oil you've got left. Just pour it out. Pour it out on him. Pour it out on him this morning. Give it all to him. Just pour it on his feet. I'm reminded of a woman who found herself in a room full of Pharisees and Sadducees. She was not allowed to be there. They looked on her with disgust. They looked on her with dismay. But she found herself through a crowd. The Bible said she crawls through and gets to the feet of Jesus. She brings all she has left. It's a box, an alabaster box full of precious oil. The Bible says that she kneels at his feet and she breaks her precious box and all of the oil is spent. All of the oil runs down his feet. The Bible says she begins to cry. She washes his feet with her tears and she dries them with her hair. What do you have in your hand today? What's in your house to pour out? Come on, for 30 seconds, I want you to be like that woman and just break your box. 
Come on, break your box right now. Right in the middle of wherever you are, in between Pharisee and Sadducee. I don't care what I look like. I don't care that the smell is filling the room. I come to pour something out because I realize if I want to be filled, I must first be emptied. I want to be filled. I want to be filled. I want to be filled. I decree over you cups that overflow. I want to be filled. I decree over you an overflow anointing because you want to be filled. Now pour yourself out. Pour it 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 out. If you say I want to be full, then you don't stop pouring. Don't stop pouring. Don't stop pouring. is not good God is not finished if the situation is not good he is not finished just keep pouring just keep pouring just keep pouring I'm at the end of my race. I've finished my course and I'm being poured out as a drink offering unto God. Pour yourself out. Oh, like oil upon his feet, like wine for him to drink. Pour it out on him. Pour it out. Pour it out. Come on, stand to your feet in this room. Stand to your feet in the presence of your king. You never come before a king empty-handed. You always bring a gift. Today, God, we give you the gift of the oil of our worship. It may look like it's nothing. It may look insignificant. It may look like not much, but I came to give it to you. Today, I give you my best. Expecting you to do exceeding and abundantly above all I could ever ask or think because I come to pour something out on you. Come on, pour it out. Come on, pour it out. Let the sound of gushing come forth in Oasis this morning. I hear the sound as a mighty rushing wind filling this room this morning wherewith we're sitting. The Bible says this, Acts chapter 2, they were in one mind in one accord in one place. And there came a sound from heaven like as a mighty rushing wind wherewith they were seated. And cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Today I decree over you that you are now at this moment being filled with a greater level of his spirit. I say right now that the, the bowls of heaven are being tipped and the oil is now flowing. If you want to be filled, today is the day you can be filled. If you'll just pour, if you'll just pour, if you'll just pour, he gives us the faithful promise that he'll exchange for you beauty for ashes. He said, I'll give you the oil of joy for your mourning. I'll exchange with you the garland of praise. Not the garment, the real, the real word is garland, the victor's crown. I'll give you the victor's 
crown of praise for your spirit of heaviness. You just got to keep going. You just got to keep going. You just got to keep pouring. You just got to say enough is enough. I'm finished here. I'm done being in 12th place. I'm tired of going around the same mountain. I want my promise. I'm here to pick it up. I want oil. I want land that flows with milk and honey. I'm tired of the manna. I want lands that flow with milk and honey. I was built for milk and honey. I was built to walk in promise. I'm tired of dying in this desert. I'm tired of dying in this desert. You're destined for promise. Today I decree over you like God did to Joshua. You're walking into your, it's not coming. The season is not coming. The season is now. You're walking into your promise, says the Lord. That which you've been tarrying for years for, that which you've been praying, that which you've almost given up, I say you are now walking into, if you'll just walk into it. I will not carry you into it. You will have to walk into it, says the Lord. There may be a sea in front of you, but I'll split the waters as long as you'll walk through. You will not even get mud on your sandals. You'll walk through on dry ground if you'll just walk. If you'll just walk. If you'll just walk. You don't have to fight your way into your promise. You'll just walk your way in. I believe I'm in the room with some virgins that have lamps that say it may look like at midnight the fire was going out, but today I poured the rest of it on the ground and he just kept filling it. I'm in the room with some people with burning lamps now and shining torches now that says this fire will not go out again. I've got a burning in me that even hell itself can't put out. I'll guard this flame. I'll guard this flame with my life. I won't let it go out. I'll keep pouring. I'll keep pouring. I'll keep pouring. I'll keep pouring. Jesus had been crucified, his body put into a grave. The Bible says the same woman who broke her box of oil on his feet came once again to anoint his body with even more oil. She came alone with even more oil. That means that everyone around you may not be pouring out like you need to pour out, but she still came. She gets to an empty tomb. She believes the body has been stolen. And she looks at a man supposing him to be the gardener. She says, where have you laid him? He looks at her and he says, Mary, Mary. And she knew it was him. Today, he's calling out your name. (laughs) Today, he's calling out your name, saying, you came to pour oil today. You made the decision, even if it was alone, to pour oil. I'm calling you by name. I'm calling you by name. I'm calling you by name. Come on, one more time. Lift your hands in this room. Come on, 
Shayando Ramabata Kosunda Lebebeti Siakata Yande Kora Baba Yondo Sona Bakashiataye Siondo Ramabapa Kosunda Lebebeshikia Pataye Sayanda Raboso Ramaboso Tikia Bakae Rashon de la Baba Sundele de Teabaka when you don't know what to pray, just groan in the spirit. Lord, we want to see America filled, but first fill our houses, fill our marriages, fill our homes, fill our children, and fill us. Fill us up, God. 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 That there's still oil left in you he's trying to get out so he can put the new wine inside of you he said that this new wine cannot be poured into your old bottle he said listen right now this new wine's being poured into your new wine skin empty it out right now so you can receive the new there's new wine with your name on it there's new oil with your name on it there's a burning fiery inferno with your name on it. You need to be filled for your finish. Fill us up, God. Fill us up, God. It's the cry of our heart this morning at the Oasis Church. Fill us up individually, God. Give us cups that run over. Give us an overflow anointing in Jesus' name. We've cried for it individually, Lord. Now today we cry for it corporately. You've given us the promise of another mega Pentecost. You've given us a promise of supernatural signs and wonders like the world has never seen. Today, God, we're expecting you to do that exceeding and abundant thing. God, today we pray for an overflowing anointing that'll reach out of this building into the city of Middletown, into this I-75 corridor, into this tri-state area, and ultimately into this nation. God, let us be those overflowing cups. Let us be those ones that are spilling out. Let us be the ones that will waste it all on you. Does anybody in this room feel like they're filled this morning? Come on, if I didn't preach to you, I preached to myself. I feel like I've got a fresh oil, a fresh burning, a fresh desire, a new agility, another level, another gear, another place to go, a new backing, a new wind, another sound. I feel like heaven's come behind us this morning and they're going to push us into our finish. Do you feel the push? Do you feel the push? Come on, give your king some praise in this house.